we are, believe it or not, moving on. We are actually getting to Luke chapter 11, verse 5. I, I know. I know, it's, I know it's hard to believe. Um, if you've kept track, by the way, we have been speaking about the prayer the Lord gave to his disciples for three months, 12 weeks. Um, we have been at it for a while. The fact is that if I were so inclined, we could keep right at that. We could just keep going. But it's time to go to the next passage. I would say it's time to move on, but it's not. We're not moving on. In fact, this next passage is Jesus bringing to a conclusion what it is he is teaching about prayer. You will recall that the introduction to this passage is that the disciples, Jesus is praying, and one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples to pray, we, we need to know how to pray, we need to know what to pray, and we need to know why to pray. I mean, we want to be instructed and motivated on how to pray. So, Lord, would you, would you give us instruction? And so, he does, and of course, it's a familiar passage. It's, it appears in Matthew as well. Uh, I'm sure that if, if, if I wanted to, we could all stand up and quote this together. You know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I, I mean, we could do that. But the fact is that this prayer was not given for us to merely memorize and repeat back to God. It is a prayer of structure. It is the framework. It is a list of things that would be important to include in your prayers. It would be okay to memorize this prayer enough to try to pray like this. To memorize this prayer and simply repeat it back to God completely violates the spirit with which Jesus gave this prayer. You read it in Matthew. He's like, don't pray like the heathen. They think that they will be heard for their much speaking and, and vain repetition. So to memorize this prayer and to maybe get little beads and start flicking them off as you go down through it, to c- keep track of how many times you said it, would be <laughs> totally counterproductive to exactly what Jesus was trying to say as he gave this prayer. Instead, what he's giving is a, a framework, an example. A, the, pray like this. I mean, not just leave you out there floundering. Include these kinds of things. And then he goes down through it. Now, this particular illustration that he's going to give, as he, as he closes this off, he's like, all right, let me, let me close on the illustration. Jesus often does this. He will give teaching. He will give doctrine or theology. And then he will close with an illustration. Now, this particular illustration, divinely inspired, um, we might come up with any number of illustrations, but this is, this is actually Jesus here. So this illustration is very important to understand what he's saying about prayer. So let me read it, and uh, then we'll discuss it. So he said to them, as he you know, caps this off, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. This might seem to be a very straightforward illustration. You might, maybe. But actually, in order for us to really get what Jesus is talking about, there are a number of items that we need to discuss. Jesus is not talking to 2020 America. That's not who this is directed at. This is directed to first century Jewish folks. So there are certain things that occur in this account that if we're going to understand the point that Jesus is trying to make, and it's important that we understand not just what we think, not just what we read into this, it's important that we get out of this what Jesus is actually saying. How it may apply, we may have 50 different applications, but our primary responsibility is to see if we can actually discern what the audience to whom Jesus is speaking is going to get out of this. Because it's really important. There's, there's some important points here. So let's go through a couple of items that, several actually, that we would need to really kind of get into the heads of the people who are listening to Jesus. First of all, the issue of hospitality. Now, we want to be hospitable. It's, you know, it's, it's good to be hospitable. For these folks, just being hospitable was not one of those, well, it's, it's, you know, it's only polite. This is not just only polite. These are people who lived under the law of Moses. These are people who understood the law of Moses. And the law of Moses was that you were to take care of the widows, the orphans, and strangers or travelers. So you didn't just have a social, oh, this is a nice thing. You actually have a biblical responsibility. The people in this story are all friends. There's a guy who has a friend. Now, it's a terrible thing, but the fact is that for most of us, as best I can tell, hopefully this is not true for you, I could only hope, but for most of us living in America today, if you know the names first and last of, I don't know, four or five of your neighbors, good for you. I don't know about you, I live in a neighborhood where there is a continual turnover. I mean, the house on the right next to me has sold, I can't even remember how many times it's sold, and, and it's just turned over. So uh, to know your neighbors and, and to be friends, one could only really hope you could actually be friends with some of your neighbors, that'd be great. But the fact is we live in a society where, for the most part, we're lucky to know the names, if, you know, kind of wave to them, um, to actually know your neighbors. It's not here. This is a small community. These folks have all lived together. These folks all go to the synagogue together. This is a community in which everyone knows everyone. Everyone knows everyone's business. These people are friends. They know one another. He's not just knocking. This is not you going to your neighbor at midnight to ask for a cup of flour or sugar. That's it's not what's going on here. These are people who completely understand what is occurring here. They know one another. These people share, next thing, a strong social religious bond. They are all the children of Abraham. They're all Jewish. They all know it. And they all make some claim to be the disciples of Moses. That's important to note. That's going to matter. This, these are not, this is not a, you're not knocking on a stranger's door just trying to get them to do something for you. These, <laughs> these people know one another. Next, traveling at night. Uh, it was not uncommon to travel at night in the ancient world, particularly in the Middle East. It's hot. 
And so you would travel once the sun went down. You may not want to travel all night, but once the sun went down, you would keep going. In fact, you might be able to make better time. It's not quite so hot out. But obviously, you don't really know. Um, I I don't have to say it, right? I mean, they don't have telephones, right? There's no... the, The person, the host here... Uh, he may know that his friend is coming, but it may be one of those, I don't know, is he going to be here on Monday or Tuesday? It might even be Wednesday. I don't really know. I mean, I guess I'll know when he gets here. And, of course, when he gets here, uh, most people got up with the sun, and you had to work all day. So most people more or less went to bed when the sun went down. I mean, you might light a candle for a little bit, but you know, to actually be up at midnight was not really the thing. I mean, most people were not really up at midnight, uh, unless you were on guard duty or something. Otherwise, you go to bed. Because you've got to get up. When the, when the rooster crows, you better get up. Bread. Why doesn't he have bread? I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know about you. I have bread. I open the freezer, you know. And there's, I, well, there, that would be one answer right there, right? No refrigeration. They don't have any refrigeration. You couldn't, there was no preservatives to put in the bread. You baked bread and you better eat it. Bread that hung around for a few days, uh, you really want your bread to hang around for a few days. So it's not surprising that he's run out of bread. You make enough bread for the meal. That's what he did. He made enough bread. Now, the grain, well, that hangs around for a long time. I mean, the grain is almost forever. But no refrigeration, no ability to protect uh, your bread once you've already made it. Uh, None set aside for an emergency. Any bread you set aside for an emergency, you better, your emergency better show up pretty quick. Otherwise, your bread is going to be absolutely no good. I mean, there's a reason why in the prayer, Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread, right? I mean, that was part of life. You baked your bread and you ate it. Next, houses of the day were generally, particularly in the working class district, which is who Jesus tended to address, this is going to be a one-room house. One room. You probably have a mat over that you put up against the wall during the day, and then at night, you would take the mat down, roll it out, everyone would sleep on the mat, which is why what the guy says, you know, my kids are here with me. And if it got cold, which in the desert it tends to, I mean, everybody kind of, you know, you sleep together so that you can have your bodily warmth here. Uh, The door is... I mean, you know, they didn't have pin and barrel hinges, right? I mean, we weren't invented yet. Uh, these, this door was probably slid against the wall in the day, slid back and held in place with probably a bar and maybe a chain or some kind of a, you know, big ring. I mean, it was a production to, to get the door open. It was closed for security. You're all going to sleep. You don't want anybody coming in and taking anything. So, you know, this door was... All right, so Jesus uh, often tells parables. Last point here to kind of get us into the... so that we get what's going on here. Jesus often tells parables that can be a little difficult to, to get. You can read some of the parables of Jesus and, you know, it, it can be a little hard. It's like, wait, exactly who's who in this parable... And what exactly is he saying? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that you planted and it grows and it becomes a great tree and the birds nest in it. Now you might have some discussion about exactly what that means. Exactly, wait, first of all, mustard seeds don't turn into trees and are the birds good or 
bad. Or, and you can have those kinds of discussions. All right, this parable is not that kind of parable. You read it, and it actually is pretty clear exactly who's who, right? He's talking about prayer, so there's no doubt about it that the host, who's going next door to get his three loaves, um, you know, he's clearly the guy who's got the prayer. And, you know, the guy who's come is obviously the request. And the guy who's not inclined to answer his request is being contrasted to God. And God, obviously, is quick to answer a request. Those kinds of things are not, that, that's all pretty straightforward. But there is an issue in this particular uh, parable. And the issue is the, there's a specific word that Jesus uses. And what he says is in verse 8, and it says this, I tell you that even though we will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his, and this is the word. Now, I don't know what your translation has. I have the NASB, and it says persistence. He will get up and give him as much as he needs. But the fact is, this is a word that is only used once in the entire New Testament. One time. That's it. For those of you who would like to maybe add some technical terms to your vocabulary, this would be known as a hapax legomena. Yeah. A $5 word for the meaning only used once. Nonetheless, it's sitting out there, and if you're one of those people who likes to... You know, anyway. So, but the significance is that because it's only used once in all of the New Testament, it's not used in the Old Testament, obviously that's written in Hebrew and this is Greek. There's plenty of them in the Hebrew too, by the way. They're a little difficult to translate because they're only used once. So you're left with, unless you have some other kind of source by which, in this case the Greek, you have another Greek source in which you can find out how this word is used, it's kind of up in the air, which is too bad because Jesus, this is like the point that Jesus is making. I tell you that even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his, this word, he will get up and give him as much as he wants. So actually a lot kind of hangs on what this word means. Fortunately for us, time has gone by. We have uh, a number of secular Greek sources, manuscripts, things have been pulled out, and we have at least two that were easy to identify, Homer, the poet, and Josephus. Both actually use this word, and when they use it, it doesn't, it's not used to mean the word persistence. By the way, if you're wondering why it's translated persistence, it's because prior to them finding these other secular documents, uh, they went to, if you knock, you'll get it, and if you seek, you'll find, which are words of persistence. I mean, it's, they're, they're used in that sense. And so it was not an unreasonable thing to think that, well, maybe what Jesus is saying here is persistence, but actually come to find out what this word means, now that we've got enough secular sources to hunt it all down, it actually carries the idea of... Um, there's another, Hebrew, there's another Jewish word that comes to mind, which you might know what it means. Chutzpah. It's nerve. It's, it's, you dare? I mean, because of your impudence, because of your, um, because of your shamelessness, your willingness to simply forego what would clearly be socially proper. I mean, you're over here knocking on your neighbor's door at midnight. How dare you? I mean, how rude, how, you've got to be kidding me. You're actually willing to do this? This is that 
word. You don't really care what other people think. You're shameless. You don't care about convention. You're going to do what needs to be done to get the job done. That's, that's the sense that this word carries. And by the way, if you happen to have an ESV, uh, that's exactly how this word is translated in ESV, which I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because of his friend, yet because of his impudence. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. So, and that, by the way, is not advocating for the ESV necessarily. It's a good modern translation. What I am advocating for is that you try to get a translation which uses the most current research to help with these kinds. This is a word that's only used once. It's it's difficult. It's hard to know exactly what it means. So, if we can get other sources which are shedding light on it, that's great. And it won't surprise me if the NASB will come out with an revised edition, which will bring that to bear. It's scholarship. That's what they're doing. So, with those things in mind, let's go back and let's get another look at this and see if we can enter into, we can stand there like first century Jewish people who live in a one-room house with everybody sleeping on the bed together with a social obligation to be hospitable and see if we can't enter back into this and see what it is that Jesus is saying. So, Okay, suppose one of you had a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, hey, I need three loaves of bread. A friend of mine has come to visit, and uh, I don't have anything to give him. Uh, So the guy has traveled. He apparently has decided to probably hurry, I guess. I mean, he's determined to get there. He's so determined to get there that he's still traveling at midnight. And he arrives unexpectedly. You now, as the person who, this is your friend, uh, you have an obligation to be hospitable to this guy. Even if you have, like, some bread left over from supper, uh, you know, it's, uh, you don't hand the guy. Now, bread, at that time, by the way, and the reason he's asking for three loaves. Now, I don't know about you, but, I mean, a loaf of, that's a lot of bread. I mean, three loaves of bread. Okay, that's, first of all, you're talking leaven bread. That's, you know. What we're looking at here is this is like three pieces of pita bread, you know, to kind of round, flat, maybe, maybe doubled. Uh, it's not quite three tacos. Those are really flat and just one. It's, it's a little more than that. But it's, it's certainly less than like a loaf of bread we buy, 20, 25 slices in that thing. This is small. This is enough to provide this guy if you put some fruit on there or if you maybe put some meat on there or whatever. Um, so this, this is enough bread to give this guy a meal. Now, everyone in this situation is well aware that you, there's a social obligation to take care of the, of the stranger, of the traveler. When the traveler shows up, the host has a choice. <clears throat> am I going to be a good cho- host or am I going to be a good neighbor? Because the only way I'm going to be a good host is if I go knock on my neighbor's door. And it is midnight. So am I going to fulfill my obligation to my guest? Or am I going to fulfill my obligation to my neighbor? Now, what's interesting is that when he goes over there and he knocks on the neighbor's door, 
once the neighbor actually wakes up enough to kind of, you know, clear the sleep from his head, everyone realizes that this is a legitimate obligation. You're supposed to say yes to this. Um, But it's midnight. Your wife isn't having a baby. Your child isn't sick or broke a leg. Uh, You just have an unexpected guest. And you go over here waking the whole house up? I mean, so for the neighbor, his initial reaction is not surprising. I suspect it'd be the reaction we all have. From inside, he says, look, don't bother me. The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed. I mean, you know what? It's noisy. It's noisy to close that door. I've closed it. We're all in bed. We're all comfortable. We're all warm. You know, we're all snuggled in here. And, uh, you know, no, no, I'm not going to get up. If I get up, I don't wake the kids up if we haven't already woke the kids up with this conversation. And if that doesn't wake them up, well, once I get up, then I'm going to have to, what, get a light? I'm going to have to turn a light on. I'm going to have to light a lantern. I'm going to, I'm going to have to find the bread that I've, you know, and, and because it's a small community, we probably have a good idea who's got the bread, right? I mean, he doesn't randomly pick this neighbor. He's over there because he knows the guy's got a little extra bread. And I'm going to, and, and by the time I get the door open enough to actually hand you this, I mean, the, the whole house is, is going to be awake. I mean, what you're asking me here is just, no, go away. And keep your voice down, by the way. The guy doesn't go away. I mean, we all know the guy doesn't go away. The very fact that the guy has already come over here and, and knocked on your door and has gone, hey, I need three loaves of bread. Okay, the very fact that he's done that, I, uh, he, he's not going to go to some other neighbor. I mean, he's standing out there because... I can't believe the nerve of this guy, right? You've got to be kidding me. You, you, okay, yes, we all have a social obligation to take care of the guest who's come into town. Yes, uh, yeah, we should be good hosts to the guest who's... But seriously, you knocked on my door, really? I can't believe it. But as you stop and think about it, Small community, everybody knows everything. Come tomorrow morning, you know, if you just roll over and go back to sleep, the people that everyone's going to be talking about is not the host. The people everyone's going to be talking about is you, because you wouldn't get out of bed and do your social obligation, which, by the way, you had. So, okay. Even though he will knock it up and do this for his friend, we're friends. You knock on my door at midnight. We're friends. I mean, friends don't do this, right? Okay. Even though they're friends, and even, why will he get up and give you the bread? Because of his audaciousness. Because you have the nerve to actually come here and, and knock on my door at midnight. You've got to, okay. This has now become social. I mean, everyone's going to know this. Tomorrow, everyone is going to know that this happened. I can't believe you put me in this position, but because you've put me in this position, because you, all right, the very fact that you've actually knocked on my door at midnight and put me in this position, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it. It's just, the situation requires me to do it. Everyone knows that we're supposed to be hospitable. 
And the very fact that you were bold enough to come over here and knock on my door, all right, I'm not going to leave your guest in the lurch. I'll do it. That's what's going on here. So let's pull out the truths here. What is Jesus saying with this? Jesus is trying to motivate us to pray. The entire point of this is Jesus has said to his disciples, has said, teach us to pray. He's like, okay. So he goes down through the, the framework, you know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he goes down to the framework, and then he gives this illustration. And this illustration is supposed to move us to pray more, to pray more fervently, to pray more regularly. And it's teaching us how it is you go about praying. So the big picture is, okay, so we've got the hostess, which is clearly us. I mean, that's, that's us, right? And then we've got the guest. The guest is your request. There's this request that has come to you. And the neighbor is God, except it's not a comparison with God. It is clearly a contrast with God. And the contrast is God never sleeps. God is always happy to hear from us. And so God is not like your neighbor. God is not going to tell you to go away. God is not going to say, come back tomorrow. God is not so busy that he can't answer your prayer. The reality is God is always going to hear your prayer. And you can pray to God any time you have a request. Secondly, pray. Don't worry about what time it is. Don't worry about whether or not you think it's the proper time. Uh, We have not because we ask not. Even if it's midnight, even if it seems like, wow, I hardly believe I actually asked God for that. Go ahead and ask anyway. Just to throw in here, because it's important to throw in here, because I think sometimes it happens to us, We know that God is sovereign. It's good to talk about the sovereignty of God. It's good to recognize that God is sovereign. And it's okay to recognize that God is sovereign. And you might be tempted to go, I don't know, should we really, I mean, midnight? Do I really need to pray to God at midnight? I mean, first of all, God already knows what I need before I ask. And whatever the answer is, you know, God in eternity past has already, I mean, you know, it's all... It's all laid out. I mean, why should I bother praying? I mean, why? Okay. Well, first of all, this very illustration itself should make it very clear, right? Jesus has made it clear that you should go and ask God, even at midnight, even if you think it's bold, even if you think it's rude, even if you think that it's like, can't believe you're doing this, do it. God is okay with that. God wants us to come to him at any time, at any, at any time. Three illustrations of prayer that makes a difference. And the off chance that you're thinking your prayers don't matter. These are all from the Old Testament, by the way. Could give a similar amount for the New Testament. But so David is moved to number the people. I could do a sermon on that, I'm not going to, so we're just there you go. David is moved to number the people, and it was the wrong thing to do. And so the prophet, Gad, comes to him and says, all right, God is, uh, God is going to offer you three things. Uh, choose one of them. 
know, you can follow your enemies, you can have a famine for seven years, or you can have a plague for three days. Obviously, David gets to pick one of those. I mean, isn't it clear that if David had picked the seven-year famine, well, you'd have got a seven-year famine. If David had picked that we flee from our enemies for, I forget what time frame it was, but however long it was, then you're going to flee from your enemies for that long. He picked the plague. It matters what you pick. God appears to Solomon, illustration two. God appears to Solomon in a dream and says to him, ask what you wish for me to give to you. Do we doubt that if, if Solomon had said, you know, I'd really like to be rich, Solomon would have died a rich man. Solomon said, I, you know, I'd really like to have long life. Solomon would have died as an old man. If Solomon had said, you know, I'd really like victory over my enemies, Solomon would have either been a great warrior or a great diplomat. I mean, it was an open-ended question. God gave him, what do you want? You just, just ask, what do you want me to give you? Of course, we all know Solomon said, give me wisdom. And of course, because he asked for wisdom to rule the people of God, God answers with, well, since you didn't ask for long life, I'll give it to you. And since you didn't ask for riches, I'll give that to you as well. And you didn't ask for victory over your enemy, so I'll give you that too. If you've only asked for one of those three, you would have gotten one of those three. Because he asked for wisdom, God gave them all. It matters what you pray. It matters what you ask for. What are you asking for? Are you praying? Are you asking God? Don't allow yourself to go, well, it doesn't really matter because, I mean, you know, God, God knows anyway. So why should I waste my time praying? You're never wasting time praying. Third illustration. Elisha is ill. And since he's ill, he calls in Joash, who's the king of Israel, and um, he comes in and he, and he weeps over him. You know, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and his horsemen. You know, I mean, it's the, the fiery chariot's going to come get you like he came to get Elijah. Uh, so Elisha says to him, all right, here's what I want you to do. Take some arrows, you know, shoot them out the window. Now, I want you to, I, I want you to take the bundle of arrows you've got in your hand, and I want you to hit the ground with them. You know, I mean, we all know the story, right? The guy hit the ground three times. And Elisha looks at him and says, what? I told you to hit the ground with the arrows. You should have just kept hitting the ground until I told you to stop. Why did you only hit three times? He said to him, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Aram until you had destroyed it. But now, you're only going to strike him three times. What we do matters. Your prayers matter. Take your prayers to God. Take your requests to God. Bring them to God. So, another principle. I think that the people of the day of Jesus, uh, with a pharisaical religious upbringing, would see times of prayer. They would see prayer as, uh, well, there's there's the morning prayer and the afternoon prayer and the evening prayer. And you recall that the Pharisees would stand in the street corner and for a pretense make long prayers. There was a prayer time. Uh, And you might be legalistic about your prayer time. You might have a time set aside to pray. And that's the only time I pray. In fact, I'm not sure I can pray any other times. Uh, Actually, you don't have to come to church to pray. Uh, By the way, I mean, I'll pray for you if you want me to. By all means, send me your prayer request. But the fact is that 
you're just as close to God as I am. Uh, I mean, I'll pray for you. I will. But you can pray to God yourself. It's not like you need me to, like, like somehow I'm closer to God. I assure you I'm no closer to God than you are. The Spirit of God then dwells me and dwells you. Spiritual gift, I, I have one. You have one. I mean, we're all one in Christ. The, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. So pray. You don't have to come to church to pray. Not that anybody does. I can tell you our Wednesday night <clears throat> prayer meeting attendance would indicate that. But if you feel compelled to, uh, you know, like somehow when I'm in church, then I really pray. Oh, no. You pray anytime. You pray at midnight. You pray when the request brings itself before you. Pray. Don't worry if it seems appropriate. God is okay with your boldness. God is okay with you getting out there and praying prayers that would appear shocking. You ask God for that? Yeah, yeah, actually I did. I was awake last night and I couldn't sleep. And I brought that request to God. This, this exact illustration would absolutely advocate for that. So pray, pray bold, pray big. Pray in a way that you think, hmm, I, do I have the nerve to do this? Yes, have the nerve. Go ahead. That's what this passage is presenting to us. It's okay. In fact, Jesus goes on and says, as he did in Matthew, he says the same thing in Matthew, ask and it will be given to you. Present active imperative. That's why it means keep on asking. It's a command. You, keep asking. And if you will seek, if you will keep seeking, you will find. And if you keep knocking, it will be open unto you, which, by the way, you could see why. If we weren't sure what the word meant, you might take that word and just translate it to mean persistent. It's not, but if you want persistence and you feel like that's essential to this passage, well, there it is, verse 9 and verse 10. If you will ask... And by the way, the emphasis here is on everyone. It's not just me asking. It's not just the leadership of the church asking. It's, not, it's you. Ask. Ask and it will be given to you. If you will seek, you will find. If you will knock, the door will be open unto you. God is an equal opportunity prayer answerer. He's more than happy to answer your prayers. Well, you might say, wait a minute, is this a, you know, is this a blank check? Can I just pray for whatever I want? I, you know, might be some interesting items I could pray for if I just pray whatever I want. Understand, this occurs within the context of the prayer he just gave the disciples, you know, our Father who art in heaven. Now, we just spent 12 weeks looking at that prayer, and there's a lot in that prayer. There are a lot of things to unpack in that prayer. If we look at this particular situation, the guy asked for three loaves of bread, which is basically three slices of pita bread. The prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't have his daily bread, I mean, it, for this guy. There is a societal expectation to be a good hostess. All of these things fall within the framework. He's not asking for something, you know, he's not asking God for a, a new pair of oxen here. Because, I don't know, it just crossed his mind in the middle of the night. This is a prayer for God to take care of his guest. This is a prayer for God to do what God is inclined to do anyway. 
If God gives the command, if God wants you to preach the gospel, let that hang for a second so that you could say to yourself, well, of course God wants us to preach the gospel. Yes, that's exactly right. God wants you to communicate the gospel to people, not just me, you. Well, pray that God give you an opportunity to communicate the gospel to somebody this week. Be bold. Pray it. And then keep your eyes peeled and see who comes along that you actually have an opportunity to share the gospel with. Expect God to answer that prayer. You think God doesn't want you to share your faith this week? I mean, of course he does. So pray accordingly. You're like, I haven't shared the gospel with anybody in years. Well, when's the last time you got down and really prayed about it and begged God to send someone into your life that you could give the gospel to? In fact, when God gets around to answering that, you may discover that it's someone you've actually been talking to for the last several years. You just never brought the gospel up. These are the kinds of things to pray. We want to earn eternal reward, right? Pray for God's power in your life. Pray for God's spirit to work in your life. Pray for an ability to understand the word of God. Pray for, pray for God's fatherly presence. Lord, our dear heavenly father, you know what's going on in my life. You, you are in heaven, and I want heaven's power in my life. I want a relationship with you as my father. I want to see you provide. I want to see you take care of me. I, I need comfort. I, I need to be able to comfort others. I want to come and pray to you that I can be the neighbor I need to be. I can be the spouse I need to be. I can be the parent I need to be. I can be the employee or the church member that I need to be. Lord, do that for me. I want your holiness and the holiness of your name to be reflected in my life. I want people to know that I think highly of you. And I want your name set aside. I want to be known as a Christian. Hallowed to be your name in my life. And by the way, Lord, your kingdom, where people love one another, are kind to one another, compassionate to one another, forgiving of one another, I, that, I want that in my life. Bring that into my life. Make me the person who acts like that. When your kingdom comes, first of all, bring it into me so that I can act like a kingdom person. Your will be done by me, first and foremost. And I'm just asking for you, by the way, to change my spouse. I mean, that's the problem in our marriage. I mean, if my spouse would change... Oh, no, no, no. You can, first of all, you can't change your spouse. And second of all, if you're blaming your spouse, okay, well, there you go. That's the number one problem in your marriage right there is you blame your spouse. Stop blaming your spouse and get looking in the mirror and figure out what you can do differently to be the spouse you ought to be. Change yourself and you'd be amazed at how your spouse changes. It'll, it'll be transformational. Anyway, so pray that the will of God to be done in your life. And, Lord, give me what I need for today. I don't need... A, 10 weeks or 10 years, or I don't need such an abundance that I forget you, but I do need today's. Give me what I need today. And by the way, Lord, what I need to do is forgive people. I have some folks I'm pretty upset with, and I could really stand to have your forgiveness. And if you just help me forgive others, and so we can stay on the right track here between you and I. I mean, these are the kinds of things that we pray. And if that all sounds familiar, of course, it should be just spent 12 weeks going after that. So everyone who asks those kinds of things receives. If you seek those things, you will find them. And if you knock on the Bible and you knock on what God has said, I seek knowledge. I want knowledge. Well, it'll, it'll be given to you. Everyone who asks these things will get them. Everyone who seeks will find. Everyone who knocks will be open. 
You want opportunities to serve God? Pray for him. You'll get him. You knock, it'll open. You seek, you'll find. You ask, you will receive. God wants us to pray and pray all the time, anytime, as it comes to your mind. Pray. Be bold. Knock on the door at midnight. Get over there. God is never reluctant. God is not like the guy next door who doesn't want to get up and actually take care of what you need. God is right there. And he wants to take care of what you need. Let's pray. Our Father, we do. We do need your fatherly presence. We need you to love us. We need to have you provide for us. We need to recognize that all those good things we have there, it's not just from what we're doing, it's what you're doing. And all the opportunities we have come from you. Our hands, our eyes, our minds, everything we have is from you. Lord, we pray that we would acknowledge that and thank you for that and that we would live our lives in a way that would bring honor and glory to your name. Lord, we want your kingdom in our lives. We want to be kingdom citizens. We want to be people who have an eternal perspective. Lord, we want to be able to share the gospel in a way that will transform, that your will will be done in our lives. Bring, bring people who we can share the gospel with. Provide for us, Lord. May we not take for granted our refrigerators or our cupboards full of food. May we recognize that in a moment, those things could disappear very, very quickly. Lord, we, we want to be a forgiving people. The gospel is the very message of how you've forgiven us. May we extend that to others. Lord, use our lives. May we pray to you fervently, regularly, anytime, day, night. May we boldly come before your throne of grace. Jesus paid a tremendous price that we may come to you. So may we do it, avail ourselves of it. May we ask and see you at work in our lives. We pray in your son's dear and precious name. Amen.